This is Perspectives, the show where a conversation about our many differences often shows us how much we have in common. I'm Condit's Presley. Last month, this station, News 95.5 WSB, marked a milestone, 100 years on the air. The celebration continues long after March 15th, and it's hard to believe that I've been with this station for 36 of those 100 years and 34 doing this program in this time period. Also celebrating a major milestone along with WSB this month is the First Presbyterian Church of Atlanta. Their service is the oldest continuous religious program on the globe. My guest today is the pastor of First Presbyterian, Dr. Tony Sundermeyer. Dr. Sundermeyer, welcome. Thank you, Candice. Good to see you. Really good, good to see you. So now I've got 30, 34 years doing perspectives, 36 at the station. How long have you been preaching on WSB? So seven years, and let's not forget the months, seven months. Yeah. Tell us the story that you learned when you were called to pastor here in Atlanta about this, this heritage church that you're leading and this heritage program that lives on WSB every Sunday. Yeah, thanks. First Presbyterian Church of Atlanta is right in the heart of North Midtown at 16th and Peachtree, and we've been at that location for about 100 years. We're celebrating our 175th anniversary on uh, January the 8th, 2023, so coming up in a few months. Um, and it's a church that's uh, historically been outward facing, uh, seeking to be good, a good neighbor to those in Midtown in the city of Atlanta and beyond. Uh, we have uh, robust ministries, as you might imagine, of any church. But I think one of the things that's unique about First Pres is our outreach to um, some of our most vulnerable uh, neighbors. And, um, and, and we have a, uh, a very robust ministry, a community ministry with uh, six full-time employees. And we serve about 1,500 folks, many of them experiencing homelessness, both with immediate needs and then also uh, sort of long-term wraparound uh, social work kind of service as well. Um, also, uh, this church has been sort of on the front lines uh, when it comes to uh, broadcast ministries, um, and certainly that origin comes 100 years ago this April uh, with the, um, the launch of uh, the, the, the uh, uh, service that was broadcast live uh, every Sunday beginning on March the 2nd, 1922. Uh, making it, as you noted in your uh, introduction, the longest uh, continuous religious radio program uh, on the planet. Um, and we're very proud of that as a congregation. Um, one of the backstories is that uh, when WSB launched in March of 22, that, um, that they went to some different churches. I don't know why they didn't go to First Church first, uh, but they went to some other churches. And the ministers turned them down, thought that a microphone in the pulpit would be distracting, and thought... Um, that, that that wasn't appropriate for worship, that worship shouldn't be broadcast out. But uh, Dr. Sproul Lyons, who was the pastor at the time, thought that it was a wonderful idea to be able to get the message out uh, to those who might not be able to get to the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street. And for 100 years, we've been on the radio uh, every, every Sunday morning. So innovation is not something that is foreign to your church. You were innovative 100 years ago. Yes, it's pretty remarkable, especially as you think about COVID time and, and remote worship and remote connections uh, within these kinds of faith communities. And, um, you know, some of the pushback that, that, that some brought to the notion of having a radio broadcast from the church was that, well, it won't incentivize people 
to come to church, that they can just stay in their pajamas. And the more things change, the more they stay the same. These are the same conversations many of my colleagues and I are having about, uh, about virtual services, live stream and on demand. You anticipated my next question. Radio is a very easy way to reach the masses. And yet in 2022, there are so many other ways that you can reach people, many of them that came to fruition during the pandemic. What keeps First Pres on the radio airwaves in addition to streaming and so many other platforms? Yeah, that's a great question because, yeah, we do. We've been streaming for a long time. We're one of the first in the city to have live stream. Um, and certainly on demand and with various platforms that are so accessible for both our staff and our congregation. Um, but the radio, I think, um, you know, the radio is that forgotten medium that, that is still uh, very popular with a lot of people. Um, this is anecdotal, but I'm in the city uh, at various functions at various events and I'll introduce myself and people will say, um, you know, I listen to you, uh, my radio is tuned to WSB. And when I wake up on Sunday morning, I listen to you when I'm getting ready to go to my church or when I'm having a cup of coffee or, or before we have breakfast. Um, I'm amazed just anecdotally again of how many people um, connect. And, and so we realize that, that there's vitality uh, with this program. And obviously the history has substance and import as well, but, but really it's the people who continue to tune in and let us know that they tune in and that it's a meaningful part of their week. Dr. Sundermeyer, what do you see as the principal benefit of bringing a message to a radio audience? So, you know, for those who may be homebound or can't get out and, 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 and they're people of faith, uh, and in this case, people of Christian faith, it brings a word of encouragement. Um, and we craft our messages and craft our services to make sure that they know that they're just as included as someone who's sitting in a seat or in a, or in a pew. Um, and so I see that as a benefit. I also see it as a benefit for um, telling the story of our congregation. Not that we're trying to necessarily um, use it as a, a, to get more members per se, but, but to be able to say, look, this is what's happening, what God's doing at the corner of 16th and Peachtree. Um, and particularly because we're so passionate about our outreach, that there may be somebody who hears the story and says, you know, I want to be a part of that. And they may have their own church home. They may, may be a member somewhere. But they may, they may say, hey, you know what, I'd like to, to help support and serve and volunteer with what they're doing with the poor and vulnerable, with the poor and vulnerable neighbors um, that they are in relationship with. So it's really a missional kind of opportunity, uh, more than it is sort of trying to get new members, if I can, if I can say it that, that plainly. Oh, plain speak is great. For years, it's been said that the worship hour, 11 a.m. on Sundays, is the most segregated hour in America, yet your congregation and your leadership team are diverse. How is the overall church doing and sharing the message that, you know, once we get to heaven, God's not going to see race. He's just going to see his people. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and being in Atlanta, coming from Philadelphia and, and, you know, the strength of the black church in Atlanta, there's nothing like it. Um, and we've been fortunate to have uh, folks who uh, are Presbyterian and, and persons of color that want to be a part of our congregation, both from a staff and from, from membership, um, you know, like, you know, uh, for those who know a little bit of church history, we're a very white concrete, white denomination, rather. We come from Scotland of all places. Um, and yet for us, we've had a history um, within our church, uh, which I would like to say, and this precedes me by all means, been on the right side of history with folks like their, uh, Dr. Harry Fifield, who was a friend of King, uh, Dr. King, and, and was uh, on the right side of um, 
right side of civil rights. And, and I think that, you know, part of being in the city, part of having an outward facing uh, focus transcends race, it transcends our zip codes. It's, it's more about the heart of our faith. And so um, our doors are wide open for anybody who wants to affiliate to be part of a community that's really uh, a community of conviction and compassion. Tell me about some of the programs and the ministries that the church is involved in outside of the four walls on Sundays. Yeah, so we, um, you know, just to, to go out sort of into the world and then bring it back a little bit, we've got partnerships uh, that are very mutual uh, in uh, uh, Brazil and Haiti, uh, Jamaica, uh, Kenya. Um, uh, we have uh, emerging partnerships in uh, the Middle East as well. And I, and I use the word mutuality with great intention. Uh, it's not so much a money, you know, we're sending money over. We actually exchange people. Um, I've been to some of those places. Uh, most of them, Cuba, I left out Cuba. Uh, I'd be remiss if somebody heard this who's on our Cuba team. Um, I've been to many of our partner uh, communities uh, in these locales. And they have come here and uh, it's really to build bridges and build best practices about what it means to be the church in the 21st uh, century. Uh, here are outreach um, to, like I said, the, the, those who are sort of living on the margins. We serve about 1500 people a month. Um, we do four meals a week. Uh, we have uh, social workers that are on our team that provide long care um, uh, long care presence and support. We have a women's transformation center that can house up to nine women at a time who are in transition. Uh, those who are don't have children with them or partners or spouses with them. And we provide social work service uh, for them as well um, and help them save money so they can launch uh, on their own. Also have a grant that supports technical training for those women, uh, whether it be in the medical field or other uh, sort of technical, um, technical specific uh, sectors. Um, we're part of the city's uh, uh, continuum of care to end chronic homelessness and take great pride in that. that the city has, has invited us to be a part of that as one of a few religious organizations. Um, and so those are just some, um, just some, let me say one other. We have a wonderful new social entrepreneurship program called Epiphany, where we, uh, where we try to support with human resource and with capital burgeoning entrepreneurs that are in the metro Atlanta area. They get mentoring from some of our members and they get funds as well as we seek to partner with people who are, who are bringing good uh, into the world. So that's kind of our, some of our outward facing uh, uh, opportunities and ministries. Pastor, in 2020, only 47%, and I know you know this number, of Americans said that they belong to a church, to a synagogue or a mosque. Mm -hmm. That's down from 50% in 2018, 70% in 1999. Yeah. I know my pastor's talking to us about it. I got to assume that you guys are talking about it as well. Why do you think church attendance is on such a sharp decline? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, I think, you know, in some, it, some traditions um, like my own, if I can be a little self-critical, and I think that's always important. So I'm just speaking about my tradition. You know, it was a very sort of socially justice-minded tradition, and rightfully so. We should be mindful of, of the, what Christ has taught us in terms of the least of these. Um, so no apologies whatsoever there. But in the meantime, what we did was we said, you know, God is showing up in these places and in these organizations, and we launched organizations as a church. We ourselves have started at least three nonprofits. Um, and what has happened, I think, in one case, in, 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 in on one hand, is that basically um, folks have said, look, well, if that's what Christianity is all about, is like doing good in the world, I don't really need to be there on Sunday morning. 
So we've missed sort of the essence of, um, you know, the first things, um, you know, that it's the gospel that motivates us to go out and do these things. And unless we're continually being um, encouraged in the gospel, then, then that can fade real quickly. I also think just, um, you know, times have changed where it's just more, it's not as, uh, uh, sort of expected to be a part of a church, especially in, in the South, uh, you know, back in the day, uh, I'm from Philly originally, so it's, the decline has been sharper up, up in the Northeast, but, you know, it was expected uh, culturally to be, to be in the church on Sundays, especially if your boss was in the same church, right? And so, um, you know, there's been less cultural pressure, pressure and, um, uh, and expectation there as well. And, and, and then third, I would say, we just haven't done a good job of, of, of evangelism. And I know that's a loaded word, but to share the good news that, that God is with us and for us uh, as a Christian in Christ. And we, uh, we haven't done a great job of sharing that because people, you know, it. We, we need good news these days. We need a lot of good news. Um, and, uh, and I think we need to do a better job of that. What happened with our parents and our grandparents who traditionally are the generations that regular church attendees, as you said, you went to church because your boss was in the church, but it's the millennials and the Gen Zers, the kids and the grandkids who are not, where, who, who dropped the ball? Yeah. Well, I think I'm a Gen Xer and I think it's some of my generation and the, my parents' generation, um, you know, we did not, we did not, uh, I would say, stay relevant with the cares and concerns of these generations, particularly that some of their, um, their inklings and passions around inclusion and justice and uh, equality and, and earth care. Um, we also, uh, we gave them a very shallow gospel, I would say, you know, it's a, uh, uh, I have a, a, a colleague uh, who teaches at Princeton who calls it moral therapeutic deism. You know, God is exists, but God's out there, not involved in your world. And God's there to give you kind of therapy and get you along um, to be a good person, that moral side. And, um, and, and so there's that. Um, so we just, it wasn't compelling. And the message hasn't been compelling because they're getting the same messages that we've been preaching as a church. Again, indicting my own sort of my own family here. Um, uh, that they're getting out in the world, getting at their liberal, and I mean that in a, you know, a, a descriptive way, the liberal education that they have in their colleges. Um, the church is not necessary for that morality that they've been called to, uh, to embrace. Well, the Bible teaches us to be, uh, was in the world, but not of the world. Of the world, yeah, yeah. Um, which is a, a simple and easily understandable message. Why do you think that the church has not, you know, we haven't done as good of a job in sharing good news, which you already said, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, but also uh, addressing those concerns, those issues that you just mentioned that are so relevant to Gen Xers and millennials and now Gen Zers about, you know, social justice and, and mm -hmm. the other societal concerns that we are confronted with every day? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think some of it starts within the local church, but I also think um, theological education has really struggled. I'm on the board of a, of a pretty uh, large theological uh, institution, a, a seminary. Um, I went to Princeton Theological Seminary. And, uh, you know, some of it is, it's, and it's not that there's a lack of concern for some of the topics that I've talked about, but there is really a lack of understanding of culture and church culture, I, I believe. Um, you know, uh, you can go to seminary now and you can learn a lot about um, 
uh, you know, about atonement theory, or this may not be interesting to your listeners, so I won't go into the depths of how many sort of academic kind of conversations are going to be about theology. But but how do you how do you like uh, how do you show up in a hospital room? How do you how do you meet somebody on their turf? How do you have a conversation with somebody who really grew up in a secular culture in a secular world um, where church is not even a fourth? It's not even an afterthought. It's just not a thought at all, right? So. I think some of that is, is, is theological education and training and equipping leaders in the church needs to, um, needs, to, needs to change and needs to be more aware of the secular nature of our society and not just assume that Christendom is still alive and well. How do you have a conversation? I'm glad you said that. How do you have a conversation with somebody who self-describes or self-identifies as a spiritual being, mm-hmm. but may not be affiliated with a traditional church? Yeah, first I wanna affirm you know, uh, the transcendence by which they like sort of have a sense of, if that makes sense, that, um, you know, we're all, I'm, I'm going to quote an Orthodox theologian, Augustine, who said, you know, we're created with this God-shaped void in our hearts that can only be filled by God. Um, and we quest after that filling, we quest after that, that you know, that satisfaction or that in a deepest spiritual soul-filled level. So I would want to affirm somebody who reads the world that way because i think the world is more than just you know the material um uh and and so that's the first place i I would do i I would i would uh, lean into just an affirmation the other is is i believe that and i'm fully committed to this concept is that you know i don't think you can be a spiritual being without community um you know i think uh we're made for each other we're made for community and you know there's dangerous waters to be tread when somebody's discerning the will of God or the will of the other, whatever you want to call him or her, uh, by themselves. Uh, that's how cults start, right? Like where there's not a, an accountability. And, um, and I think people do want accountability. I think they want to be able to, to, to discern, to kind of reason together in community. And that for me is a way to introduce people to the community of faith. Now you got to be willing, right? To, to welcome folks in who may not agree with you, who may have a different perspective, um, but those are the, that's the, that, those are two places I would start is just the affirmation and then the invitation, you know, come, you know, come and be a part of this and reason with us and help us discern the very things that you're discerning. Um, you know, I think gone are the days where we have to have these litmus tests in order to be part of a church. You know, you have to, you have to already believe this in order to step in. I've got so many folks, friends and members of this church that, um, that are finding their way in community, um, and they feel just as welcome as any member would feel welcome. What impact has the pandemic had on First Presbyterian and actually on churches across our community and nationwide? Streaming and virtual worship had to be a thing. And now sometimes it's a whole lot easier just to, to roll out of bed and stay in your pajamas and flip on yeah. your phone or your computer as opposed to actually being involved in that communal worship in the presence of others. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of dissonance. There's a lot of paradox these days because, you know, we on one hand, if you ask any pastor, they're 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 counting the number of IP addresses on 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 Sunday mornings. Like, don't be mistaken. Like, they know, just like they know how many how many people are in the pews, um, and we're counting them all. You know, and I think I think one of the things that's changed, particularly for churches who are already equipped to do this and which we were like we didn't miss a beat with covid vis-a-vis technology um is that we're starting to curate and craft our services and content for the remote participant you know before what would happen is is i would do a service and 
I would be creating it for the people in the room and folks would be able to look at that, like sort of oversee it, but they weren't really incorporated. There weren't hymns on the screen. There weren't, um, there wasn't even every Sunday now, again, anecdotally, I say, I want to welcome everybody who's live streaming with us, you know, to make sure that they feel that they're a part of a, a part of the uh, community as well. Um, it's certainly in a positive way has expanded what participation and membership mean. And we've got to rethink that. Uh, you know, what does it mean to actually be part of a church if you live, I've got a family that lives in Santa Barbara, California. They tune into our 11 o'clock service at 8 a.m. their time. They just contributed to the church to our capital campaign. And they've only been here to visit relatives, right? Like, so that's a whole new world that we have to, that we have to um, imagine. At the same time, I just had a conversation with one of our elders, one of our board members, who said, uh, who said, um, you know, uh, there's something missing when we're not doing this together. Uh, and, and, you know, we talk about the image of the body of Christ body infers this sort of physicality mm -hmm. and, uh, and worship together. So it's, it's a real paradoxical, confusing time right now, especially statistically speaking for us, this is not out of the norm, 50%, we're only back 50% in person, but we're more people overall when you add the IP addresses in each and every week. Yeah. Because in a way, your reach has been expanded because of technology. Right. So, yes, you have to minister to um, a blended con congregation. Yes. Blended in a most different way. What right. brings you the most hope for the church today? Well, I, I just I absolutely believe in the local church. Um, I think Jesus Christ is the hope of the world and where that's expressed is in that local body. And uh, it's the people that I get to practice faith and life with here at the, at the corner of 16th and Peachtree who amazed me with their generosity, amazed me with their, the depth of faith, amazed me with their questions and willing to put on shoes and put their, put uh, shoes on their faith and walk in the world. I mean, I, that gives me a lot of hope and, and to be part of a very traditional historic church that is thinking about its next century of ministry. Um, I, that just, that invigorates me and I'm so excited and thankful that I'm a part of it. So what are you guys going to do special to mark that milestone of 100 years here on WSB yeah, Radio? Thank yeah, thanks. And thank you for WSB. I'd be remiss not to say this, that for the space that WSB has afforded us for a century. I mean, that's we don't take that for granted at all. And it's not something that WSB has to do. And and, and we're really grateful for that. Um, we're going to we're going to market in all of our worship services. I've written a sort of a little history that I'm going to share at the beginning of the service, tell some stories as well of as the impact, um, and uh, and I'll probably I'll probably tell this one story to end on a more comedic note. Uh, I get I meet people all the time who 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 say, "Hey, we listen to you every Sunday morning." I met this very um, very lovely uh, older Southern woman. grew up in Atlanta her whole life. I introduced myself. She said she kind of looked at me and did a double take. And um, you know, I'm bald, um, about five eleven, and she said. Uh, I listen to you every Sunday, but the Tony Sundermeyer I imagined in my head is six foot four with brown hair and penny loafers. And I said, I'm sorry to disappoint you. So, so, um, so it's a great connecting point and we want to celebrate all the ways that we were connected in this city through this ministry. Absolutely. Well, the Reverend Dr. Tony Sundermeyer, pastor of the First Presbyterian Church in April, celebrating 100 years of sharing God's word on WSB radio. What an achievement and an accomplishment to be congratulated. We are happy to continue to partner with you in ministry that way. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, really appreciate it.
Perspectives is a community and public affairs program produced with you in mind. If there's a guest or an issue you'd like to hear me explore, I hope you'd let me know. The easiest way to connect with me is on social media. Just slip me a DM or send me a message. Search Condice Presley on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And yeah, I know you're asking, how do you spell Condice? C-O-N-D-A-C-E. And Presley has two S's. That's P-R-E-S-S-L-E-Y. Friends, I appreciate your listening. Be sure to listen again next week at the same time as we explore new perspectives.